Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, reading verses 1 through 9. 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, verses 1 to 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy... And their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and even beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete this grace to you. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this grace. I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is Stewardship Sunday. And that concept goes all the way back to Genesis, the second chapter. Where God gave a task to Adam and Eve, he told them that they were to work in the garden and to watch over it. God was the creator, the owner, he was the Lord, but they were entrusted with the care of that creation. And they were responsible back to him, and that's where this whole concept of stewardship comes from in our Christian walk. Now, I was introduced to stewardship very early by my parents. Cynthia, I think two weeks ago, talked about growing up and and learning about stewardship at home. For me also. I believe I was seven when my father announced to us one Sunday that we were going to start getting an allowance. There were three boys. And if we were good, I'm not sure he really thought we were going to get much allowance, but if we were good, we were going to get an allowance every week, and we would get it on Saturday night. And the reason, you know, I thought, why not Saturday morning? Because I could spend it. But the reason on Saturday night was because the most important thing about getting an allowance was that for the first time, I could also give to Jesus, just like my parents did. So that first week I waited with anticipation the whole time, not even sure how much it was going to be. And so we sat down with my dad on Saturday night and he pulled out our allowance. A quarter. Now that was a lot more money back then. You could go to the drugstore soda fountain and get a cherry phosphate for 19 cents. I had absolutely no idea how much a quarter was. But I knew from hearing my parents talk about their stewardship in our church that they were giving at least 10%, if not more, to to the Lord and to our church. And so even though I was pretty young and fractions weren't all that good yet, but um, 
at a dilemma, right? 25 cents. 2.5. And I wanted to give every week. So very quickly I decided that I was going to give a nickel to Jesus. And from that time until today, uh, it has been a joy in my life to have the opportunity to give back to God a portion of what He's blessed me with. That's what we're talking about today, and that's what these verses are about. Now, I know, you know, why is it that in American culture, money is so sensitive? Now, I've lived in other cultures where it wasn't so sensitive, where people walked up to me almost daily and looked at my shirt and said, how much did you pay for that? And then no matter what I said, they would say, too much, too much. How much do you make? Oh, I bet you make this. I bet you make that. You know, money was something that could be discussed quite freely in a lot of cultures. But in America, we always somehow get a little defensive because now we're delving into something very private and personal. So I want to give to you these passages today in 2 Corinthians because they, for me, express in such a beautiful and positive way this grace of giving that God has given to us. I want you to notice that right off in the first verse that we read. The grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. Now, these churches in Macedonia are probably Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica. We know a good bit about those churches because we've read the letters and read in Acts what happened when Paul went there and shared the gospel with them and how these people came to faith in Christ and were radically transformed. And normally when we think about grace, we're immediately thinking about the fact that Jesus saved us by grace. And that's true. That's the foundation of everything else. But Paul is talking not about that grace, but about the grace that God gave these people an opportunity to give. For they had heard that in the church in Jerusalem, a famine was coming and the people were going to suffer. Their brothers and sisters in Christ, their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ that they didn't know personally, hadn't been, many of them or none of them had ever been there. They had no connection except in their oneness in Jesus Christ These Greeks and those Jews shared a common heritage in a Savior who died for them. And as soon as they knew this was taking place, they decided that they were going to raise support to send to the church in Jerusalem and show them their Christian love, to bring honor to Christ because they loved these brothers they'd never met. And so Paul says, on their own, Without any pushing, without any begging. In fact, they began to beg. Please give us the opportunity to respond to this need and bring glory to God. And bring joy to our own hearts. So we're going to walk through several uh, passages here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We're going to do it rather briefly. I'm not going to preach a whole 30 minutes on each of these points. But I did give you some notes, if you want. They're in your bulletin. And you can follow along. And we're just going to hit very briefly, and then I'd like to tell you a story that to this day challenges and brings joy to my heart. 
The first is in verses 1 to 4 that we just read earlier. Is that this giving that glorifies God. That the Macedonian churches were doing. And that God calls us to. This giving was inspired in eager and joyous hearts. It's true in the Old Testament that the children of Israel were told that they should tithe. They were to give 10% back to God. It was part of the law. It was an expectation. It was an obligation in a sense. And even though Jesus mentions the tithe in some of his teaching and seems to say that it's a good thing, we shouldn't forget it. You know, our Christian emphasis seems to be very different from that idea of an obligation or a law. We're not doing something in order that we might be right with God. We're responding to the fact that we are right with God. That He has graciously changed us. He has given us His Son, Jesus Christ. He's granted us salvation. And so these believers decided that they wanted to give and it came out of their own eagerness. And Paul says out of their abundance of joy in Christ. Then in verses 5 to 7, let me read those for us. And not just as we hoped, instead they gave themselves especially to the Lord than to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete this grace to you. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence and in your love for us, excel also in this grace. The Macedonian churches gave in such a way that glorified God because it expressed their life commitment to Christ. Paul says he was actually a little bit surprised at how gracious they were and how they went about doing this. For these churches began with the rededication of themselves to Jesus Christ. They gave themselves in a special way, Paul says. They committed themselves to Jesus Christ as their Lord and then as an expression of that submission and commitment to Him. Their giving just flowed. Now, we don't do this so that we can pay for our membership or earn something from God, Paul says that these Macedonian Christians were giving and it just fit into their larger lifestyle. They had been saved by grace. They loved Jesus Christ. And now their faith was expressing itself in their hearts, in what they talked about, what they were learning and growing in their faith in Christ, in their desire to serve Him and in their love for one another. And this was just one more way that they got to express the belief, the conviction in their hearts that had changed them forever. So this giving expresses our life commitment to Christ. In verse 9, Paul turns to another direction. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although He was rich, for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. Now, he uses that word grace again, which is rather surprising. In, in both of these chapters, both 8 and 9, which has, I think, the, the longest 
section of teaching about Christian giving in all the New Testament, Paul never uses a single word for money. He never talks about dollars and cents. He never talks about drachmas or anything else. He uses the word grace ten times. He describes this giving as an act of grace. And it is grace because it is inspired by the grace that's been poured into our hearts. That Jesus who was in the very form of God, in the position in heaven, did not consider that position something to be grasped, to be held onto, to be held to his own self, but emptied himself, made himself nothing, and became a man for us, for our salvation. That is the grace of God. That Jesus, preexistent in heaven, came to this earth and in so doing became one of us. Weak, needing sleep, hungry. I don't know if he knew about milkshakes, but he probably would have liked them. And he became poor in comparison to what he had been before. That's God's grace to us. And it's the grace that inspires our giving back to glorifying Him. Our giving reflects His gracious gift to us, as it says in this verse. And then if you'll turn with me to the next chapter. In verse 6 of chapter 9, Paul says something that made sense to every farmer who read it. Remember, remember this, he said, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Farmers, when they gather that harvest, a smart farmer, the first thing he's going to do is try to decide which part of the field and which plants produce the best. He's going to set aside the best fruits from his harvest. He's going to look for the best seed, the most productive seed. And he's going to take it and protect it and set it aside in hopes that in the coming year, he's going to sow that seed abundantly and the next year receive an even greater harvest. He who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. The farmer who is stingy with his seed goes out into the field and maybe throws a few seed around, but the crop is not going to be abundant. But if he goes and abundantly sows that field, then the crop is going to grow abundantly and produce an even greater harvest for the future. It's interesting that the word that's translated abundantly in many of our translations that he sowed abundantly, reaps abundantly, is actually the word for with blessing. The farmer goes out and sows with a blessing. He blesses the field. He blesses the field. He's giving. He is taking a risk by throwing that seed out. And now then he's able to hope and pray and wait on a great harvest that comes from that sowing, that abundant sowing. 
I guess in our day, the closest thing would be that we could come to that because most of us aren't sowing. Some of us have gotten gardens, but we sow very little in most of our gardens because they're small. Would be financial investment. We know that if we only invest a little bit for the future, we're probably only going to get back a little bit. I don't believe Paul here is talking about giving God enough so that he blesses us and makes us rich and we can live comfortably and all of that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a spiritual principle. That what we invest in the kingdom, what we sow with our lives, the deeds, and including financial giving, is a way that we invest in the future in God's purpose and God takes it and blesses it and multiplies it and we benefit from being a part of that process. So sowing with blessing is wise stewardship of our lives, not just of our money, but of our whole lives, of investing in other people. He who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. He who sows abundantly with blessing also reaps abundantly. And then in verse 7 it says, Each person should do as he has decided in his heart. You know, that's why our church does this every year. We go through this process where we prepare for our next year. We have cards. We look at those cards. We, I hope, pray about what we should give back to the Lord through our church. And that time is coming. It's next Sunday. We're asked to take this time to seek the Lord's direction in our lives. Now, I'm so glad that today, especially, I'm not your long-term pastor. Pastors always feel a little tension about talking about money because somebody's sitting out there going, yeah, 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 he wants a raise. (laughs) I'm not going to be here, so this is not about me, but I can talk about this in, in a significant way. God, this is, this is a matter between each of us and God. We should go to Him and ask Him, Lord, what can we do to bring You honor? What can we do to bring blessing upon ourselves and joy for sure, but what can we do and ask Him to lead us? Remember, we're the stewards. He's the owner of the field. And so that's what this week is about. Some of you have already been going through this process and praying about it, but that's why we do this and why in in our church these kinds of things are kept very quiet. None of the pastors know how much anybody gives. We don't check out to see uh, who made this kind of pledge. Uh, The stewardship committee puts all that together, and I think you're going to hear a little bit about that later. But this is a private thing between us and the Lord Jesus. So let's go to him this week and ask him how we can do that. And then in the the second part of verse 7, he says, Not out of regret or out of necessity. Not grudgingly. Not because we're obligated. Because God actually loves. God is glorified with cheerful giving. Our glad giving glorifies God because our hearts are filled with love for Him because of all that He has done for us. And so in joy, we give back to Him. 
That's what brings joy to his heart. And then in verse 8, And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, He is scattered, He is given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In verse 10, Paul says that God blesses us in two ways. One, he gives us bread for food. God is concerned about meeting our needs. We're called upon to pray to him about those needs. And so that is a legitimate reason that we're blessed financially. The other one is found in the words, he provides seed for the sower. Going back to verse 6. That God blesses us so that we can also bless others. There are other passages in Paul that say the same thing. God cares about us individually, but we're also a channel. We're that straw that we thought about earlier. We're a channel through whom God is able to bless others around us. And then in verse 12 and 13, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. Through the proof of this service, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with others. This gracious gift from the churches in Macedonia was going to meet real needs. Real ministry needs. One of the things I really like about uh, our church and how we do offerings is that almost every Sunday we're reminded of some specific real need that we're supporting. We're not asking specifically for that need, you know, for us to give for that need. We're just reminded that as we give every week, these are the kinds of things that that it results. It actually meets real needs. It's not just going into a big budget there at the church. Everything that the church does, which is determined actually by you, is to go to meet needs. And it declares our faith. I believe this is a critical time in our church. We are preparing for a new era as a church. The seminary will not be close by. And we've been blessed by the presence of the seminary. You know, it's very unusual to have someone like John Shouse that's not even full-time pastor. I mean, he, he was full-time in terms of how much time he spent, but not in what we were supporting him to do. I believe, and I'm praying, that in the future we will be able to support our pastors uh, in a way that brings God glory. And I believe the, the blessings are already here. We have the resources to do that. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to the state of Orissa in southeast India. Orissa is the poorest state in that very large country. And I went up into the Khand Hills where the poorest people group in the poorest state of India, the Kui people, the tribal people, live. About a hundred years ago, Baptist missionaries went up into those hills and learned their language and began to share with them that God loves everyone equally. 
and that they were loved by God and known by God and that Jesus had died for their sins. And over a period of about 25 years, a hundred churches were started in Quee villages all through those hills. A hundred churches that were self-supporting, strong, people filled with joy at this gospel that they had heard, this good news about Jesus that changed their lives. But for the next 70 years, there were no new churches started among the Kui. Those All those churches survived, a hundred of them, continued to do well, but they had not gone out and won many more of their own people to faith in Jesus Christ. So sometime around 30 years ago, a movement started among these believers. They began to, again, read God's word and realize that God's purpose was that all of their people would hear about Jesus and have an opportunity to trust in him. And they became very burdened about this. They began to meet for several days and to worship the Lord and pray and ask Him, what should they do? Now, these are the poorest people in the poorest state of India. And they came up with a plan out of their own eagerness and joy to give to Jesus and to bring Him honor. There's almost no money in those villages. And so they decided that they would tithe what they had. Every day as the women would go out into the hillsides and into the forest and chop wood to bring it back because they were still and are today still basically cooking over wood fires. When it came time to make dinner and to start that fire, the, the mothers would take nine pieces of wood and make the fire and the tenth piece they would set aside as a tithe. And then as they took their pot and placed it over that fire and began to put tablespoons of rice into the pot to feed their families, many of them malnourished, they decided that they would take every tenth spoon of rice and put it aside. God took that simple gift that came out of their desire to serve Him and multiplied it in a way that amazed them and shocked me. For in about seven years, those hundred churches multiplied to over a thousand. If they supported their own witnesses to go from village to village and tell their people about Jesus Christ. I had the privilege to spend several days in one of those villages And to see the absolute joy that those people had at what God was doing. And their great opportunity to participate in bringing the gospel and bringing honor to Christ. It enriched their joy and deepened it. And it overflowed for their people this morning while we were asleep. We're singing praises to God. In Queen. Praise His name. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, You are our Savior. And we know that You left heaven above and that You became poor. You became one of us. And yet not just one of us. You were willing to die on the cross for us. This grace is the inspiration for our lives. It's changed us, transformed us. And in this grace of giving, also 
Lord Jesus, help us excel for your honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.